better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Welcome back to Parsha Podcast. It's been a while. Sorry for the hiatus. It's good to be back. So let's get right to it. This week, the Parsha of the week is called Parsha Shemot or Shemois, depending how you pronounce your Hebrew. And we'll start off, of course, with a little joke. So a perfectionist walks into a bar and he says to the bartender, why don't you leave? I'll make the drink myself. Perfectionism is a problem that many people suffer with. Inner drive to be perfect can be very stifling to the people who possess that drive. And the the flip side of perfectionism, of course, is that you feel demoralized every time you realize you're not quite perfect. For those of you who don't suffer from this problem, lucky you, certainly there's a good chance that you know someone fairly well that has a bit too much of a perfectionist streak. So in today's podcast, we're going to explore a story in the Parsha that will shed some light and offer perspective to help guide a person who is very idealistic and ambitious. I think sometimes the word perfectionism is too easily rejected. Me, perfectionist? I'm not a perfectionist. I'm just very ambitious. I have high expectations. I have high standards. I am, you know, high high ambitions. It's it's all that. Perfectionism can all can be all that because if your high ambitions and your high standards and your idealism are actually working against you, then you're a perfectionist. And so we want to talk about that. We want to offer some advice and some comfort to the perfectionist who struggles with being less than perfect, how to accept and deal with your imperfection as the only way to change the world. And also we want to embrace that and the drive and that that ambition and that idealism towards the ultimate should not be completely thrown out. It's a good thing. It just has to be placed in the proper context, in the proper frame. And then it's a productive, healthy thing. As they, as a wise man once said, the difference between ambition and impatience is ambition is wanting to have a family of 10 children. Impatience is wanting all of them at once. So hopefully we can tease out the differences between those two things. So in this week's parsha, we encounter Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, our master, our teacher, Moses and Moshe is alone in the wilderness. He's far away from Egypt. At this point, he's in the land of Midian, tending to his father-in-law's sheep. And the story goes that one sheep escapes. He chases after the sheep, being a devoted, faithful shepherd, to, to rescue that and save that sheep. And in the, in, the, in the wilderness, he suddenly sees a bush burning, famous burning bush, a thorn bush, on fire. But somehow the bush itself is not being consumed. So he's very surprised and, and taken by this sight that he sees. He approaches the bush, and that is where God first appears to Moses. And he tells him, go to your people, go back to Egypt. You're going to lead the Jewish people out of slavery towards the Holy Land, towards the Promised Land. What's, what is Moshe's first reaction? His initial reaction is one of great humility. And in the tradition of all great leaders, he tries to decline the role and say, it's not really for me. But the way he does so is very interesting. And we're going to be focusing on Moses' attempt 
to reject the role of being the leader and why he said that, what he had in mind, what he was thinking, and why ultimately God did not accept his uh, his uh, his rejection of the role. He tells God, I beseech you, O God, send now the mess- your message with whom you would ultimately send. In other words, don't send me. There's somebody else you're going to eventually send. Send that person now. It's a little bit cryptic. What's going, what's going on over here? The Midrash expounds and tells us that Moses is telling God, basically, you're planning at some point to perfect the world with the Mashiach, with the righteous Redeemer, who will usher in a world, a perfected world, a world of peace, a world of harmony, a world where people love each other, a world that's saturated with awareness of God, and it's God-centric and not egocentric, and all the vices of human nature are out of the picture. You're ultimately going to have such a world. Why don't you just start that now? Keep me out of it and go straight to the finish line. Um, And of course, God tells Moses, nice try. We're not holding there yet. And you're going to have to wait a bit. And in the meantime, I need you to get to work. Let's, Let's unpack that. And in order to do that, I want to try to zoom out a bit. Take a broad look at, at world history from the beginning of time. Many ancient peoples, religions and so on, believed that time is a cycle. Life is cyclical. The same patterns of behavior and the same patterns of, uh, of history repeat themselves over and over and over again. And if you have ever spent a moment in honest reflection, you might observe some patterns and repetitive patterns in your own behavior and it might seem that this is all there is to it the jews through the torah were the first people to see existence as as linear in other words there's a beginning there's a middle there's an end and we are always moving along that continuum not just spinning our wheels going in circles in a repetitive pattern but we actually have shifted our mindset, and this is a huge accomplishment socially, politically, and in every other way, because only with this approach of linear time do you have any hope for a better future. Do you have any hope that you can make a difference, that life is worth the effort. If, if you believe that everything in life is cyclical and repetitive, then you become a big cynic or even a nihilist, and you give up. And you say, what's the point? I tried. I know what's going to happen. I've done this before. It'll be the same thing all over again. Forget it. Why bother inventing anything? Why bother pushing for progress on anything? It's just going to be the same stuff all over again. And so this notion that we can change, we can change ourselves, we can change society, we can change the world, is a direct, a direct outcome, a derivative of believing that time is linear and not cyclical. And Judaism is the first culture to take this view that um, basically gives rise to all scientific, technological, ethical progress and any kind of personal change. And if this is true in, in human history, it's certainly true in a spiritual, cosmic sense. From day one, the world is on one long march towards its spiritual perfection, which will climax and reach the, the ultimate in the time of Mashiach. By the way, just a quick note. Mashiach is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. It's the biblical term for the Jewish king 
who the Torah speaks about at the end of time, will lead the world to its perfected state. Mashiach is not magic. The time of Mashiach is not miraculous. There will be many miracles then, but the way to get there is by the trajectory of human progress moving forward step by step with every generation doing its thing by regular people perfecting themselves, making incremental progress until we reach the point where the world is ready to live in the state of Mashiach. The, the, the entire idea of Mashiach is that it does not come down from heaven. It's essential that the time of Mashiach is built by society, by how people are living and how people are behaving. That was just a little PS to understand a little bit what we mean when we say Mashiach. And so the world from day one was intended, with created with the purpose that we should perfect it to reach the state of Mashiach. This is the, the true meaning of the term tikkun olam, perfecting the world. It's not just perfecting the world so that there's no more uh, oppression. That's only one small ingredient. That's a very important one. And, and it's not just about ensuring equality, but it's about bringing the world to a state where the consciousness of people, of society, is driven by an awareness of God, which, of course, naturally leads to um, people not oppressing each other, people behaving ethically and morally, with that divine awareness guiding them at every step. And so the idea that, back to the idea that time is linear, and that one generation and one uh, person person's behavior builds on the other, and one thing leads to the next. And it's not just cyclical and repetitive. In the spiritual landscape, this is true. There have been events over time that have moved the spiritual needle, bringing the world closer and closer to the finish line, the time of Mashiach. And again, we don't do cycles. Every event builds on the previous one. There's a sort of a ladder of achievement, of progress, where we get closer and closer and even though there might be dips along the way, might be one step back, two steps forward, fundamentally, it's not, we don't restart the process. It's just part of the process. You have to take a little bit of a step back in order to take the next step forward, just like the, uh, the pole vaulter backs up before jumping and so on. And over time, just like the stock market, even with the dips, over time, it grows and reaches its height. Um. The trouble is that it does seem, if you look at the events in the Torah, the spiritual history of the world does seem to be a bit of a ping-pong back and forth with no real progress. The world is created perfect, and not, not, too, not too much time goes by. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge, staining the world with that sin. And then generations go by, we have the flood, we have all kinds of dysfunction, and then things start to shape up a little bit, and finally we reach the point where God reveals himself to the people at Mount Sinai, giving them this radical gift of the Torah. And seemingly now we're back to square one, we're back where we started, we're in a perfected world, the world is holy, the world is whole, at one with God, everything is great, we're like it was before the sin of the the tree of knowledge. It's been a reset. But then the Jews sin with a golden calf, and they go back into the state of dysfunction, back into a state of disassociation from God, a weakened awareness of God, and we've taken a step back. So where's the progress? 
um, the progress is the progress is to be found in the notion that every single descent, every single failure is actually a step forward because that is the nature of progress. There's no such thing as progress that is completely up and up and up and up always. Progress by definition means there's going to be some lows that lead you to the next high and you cannot take the next step without a step down. And so it's inevitable that there's going to be steps down. But once again, those steps down are not resets back to square one. Um, and, and whatever you've achieved in the past stays there and you build on that. This is true personally as well as cosmically. It's so important for a person to know that any effort that you put in into refining your character, becoming a better person, having a positive influence on people around you, even if that effort is not seemingly bearing fruit right now, or even if you or others are behaving in ways that contradict that effort and that success that you had in the past, you have to know that even if there's a little bit of a failure or a dip right now, it does not obliterate that success. It does not, does not obliterate that achievement. That achievement remains. And you're going to build on that when you get back to it. And every time you get back on track and every time you get back on the horse, you are contributing another brick to the building that you've, that you've been working on your entire life. It never gets destroyed so that you have to start all over again. That's just not true. And so we, that gives rise to the principle that every descent leads to an even greater ascent. And that also means, if that is our axiom that we're working with, that means that the, the second ascent, the second high, has to be, by definition, higher, greater than the first high. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels. And so that's exactly how it works. This is a spiral staircase. You're going in circles, but you're going up and up. Um, and sometimes there might be a step down, but it's still part of the process going up. So what that means for us is that the level that the world reached, or that the Jewish people reached, after the giving of the Torah, is higher than the way things were before the sin of the tree of knowledge. It's not a reset back to that state. It's a step higher. And the same thing holds true with all the future events, even though it might look like ping pong back and forth, up and down, we do well, we sin, we mess up, we go back up, back down. It's not a reset, it's not going back and forth to the same points, it's higher and higher each time. And, and uh, what did change? What changes is the quality of the relationship between humanity and God. It's at one level from the beginning of the world. It graduates to a higher level with the giving of the Torah. It takes a hit. Of course, there's a hit to the relationship with the sin of the golden calf. But it does not obliterate the relationship. And the relationship that we're scheduled to enjoy and to, uh, to live with in the time of Mashiach is deeper and greater than what was at Sinai. And... So what happens, what happens at Sinai is basically God tells the Jewish people, I want to have a relationship with you. And I open myself up to you. And I, I give you an opportunity to partake in a relationship with the infinite that you could never approach on your own. And 
what happens as a result of that is two things. Number one, God begins to engage more deeply with the world because he's opened himself up to the actions and the behaviors of people. He made himself care about how we live. And the second result is that the world and all of its inhabitants are all of a sudden elevated to become more uh, godly. In the same way that perhaps if you can imagine a great person, once in a generation, mind and soul, uh, reaches out to you and says, hey, can we go for tea? I want to become your friend. Just by virtue of the fact that they reach out to you, all of a sudden you're elevated. You're, you, you feel your self-concept rises and you're living in a higher state just because you are called on to be this very special person's friend. And so <clears throat> the idea that this spiritual lift remains with us even after the sin of the golden calf is very important. And after the giving of the Torah, no sin, no mistake, no failure would ever be able to completely reset the relationship. It might take a hit, but it will never be completely reset. And if that's how much we changed from before the giving of the Torah to after, certainly there's so much more room to grow in this relationship from then compared to when Mashiach comes. And the idea, what was so what was missing in this sort of ever-evolving relationship is that at that stage, at the stage of the giving of the Torah, our relationship with God, with God was not able to prevent the sin of the golden calf because Sinai was a little bit overwhelming. It was such a powerful experience for us to hear and, and uh, uh, observe God right in front of us that it overwhelmed us. It didn't actually transform us. And in a similar, in a similar uh, way, you might, you might imagine being in a conversation or a debate with someone and they say something, they pull out some statistic to support their point that shocks you. And you have no reaction other than to stare at them with your mouth wide open. And you haven't really been convinced. You haven't come around to agree with them. You're just stunned temporarily into silence by what they said. But give it some time. And although you might not have the same level of conviction in your position as you had before, you still are partial to that position and you haven't come to agree with their position. Why? Because they haven't spent the time patiently explaining, convincing you, bringing you around to seeing things, things from their perspective. In order for you to have a real transformation, that can only happen with the, the patient methodical approach, not by booming you, bombing you, with facts and figures. So there's got to be that steady uh, methodical process in order to affect real change. And so the giving of the Torah is like God dropped a bomb on us. He drops this huge bomb of a stunning ex um, explosion. He reveals himself, opens himself up for us, and we are just stunned into silence. And it has a everlasting effect but it doesn't transform us completely. And the transformation happens only over time in the slow methodical approach. And so this is what we've been working on ever since the giving of the Torah. That's been our job. Our job is take all that and, and work it into yourself. Internalize the Torah. Internalize the awareness of God. Make it real. 
So that's not just fireworks that wow you and then you go back, you know, you revert to the mean, but that it's something that actually changes you. And so with this in mind, we can we can now appreciate a little bit better what Moshe's point was. He says, I know where you're going, God. I know where this is all headed. This is all headed eventually to Mashiach. This is all headed eventually to a perfected world where God is revealed, people live with an awareness of God, and their decisions are driven by that. And society is driven by that. It's a completely different world, a godly world. So Moses argues, why not jump straight to the end? Roll the credits. Let's get straight to the point. Why do we need to go through this whole process? If the destiny is perfection, let the perfection start now. And God answers, it's a good idea. Of course that's where we're going. Of course that's the goal. Of course the ambition is ten children. But the world's simply not ready. And we need the world to come along for the ride. We can't just wow the world. We can't just blow the world off its sockets. It's got to be internalized. Otherwise it's not real. It has to be thoroughly in, internalized in the world, in, in the people. What's the world? The world is the people. The people have to come along for the ride. We can't just blow them out of the water. And evil still exists. Pharaoh's still sitting in his palace. And, and there's opposition to holiness and goodness. So we have work to do. The perfection is the goal. But it's not available right now. We have to try our best, work with the reality that we have right now in front of us. And so that's why Moshe's primary accomplishment was the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah is, the, is what kickstarts the whole process. It opens the door so that now we can get to work. Without the giving of the Torah, we have no possibility of engaging in a relationship with God and having access to divinity to be able to integrate heaven and earth in the first place. Giving the Torah is where those, those gates were open to us. Now we can, though, we can go ahead and get to work completing the transformation by internalizing godliness into ourselves. Mashiach, on the other hand, is about finalizing the process, completing the transformation when it's all been done. Moshe is all about working in a world that has a pharaoh, working to transform, to refine, to internalize, to make those changes incrementally, step by step. Not perfection, but small, modest steps. And ever since then, the Jewish people are living in an imperfect world on a path towards perfection. And our hope, that's been the hope of our centuries, is that we can make it happen. We can get there. And the passage of time does not discourage us. Our ups and downs don't discourage us. We know that the ups and downs are all part of the incremental progress. We see them as progress. We don't see them as repetitive cycles. We see them as linear steps, one after the other. Even with downtime, even with failure mixed in in between every now and then. So how can you be comfortable and happy knowing that you don't need to be perfect. Look at Moses. He also tried to be perfect. He wanted to jump straight to the end, to the finish. And 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 he felt, I'm not the one because not only, um, not only am I not the one just out of humility, but he says, I'm not the one because I can't make it perfect. So why don't you, God, send someone who can make it perfect? Send Mashiach. Don't send me. I can't make it perfect. God says, no. I actually need you, precisely you. Because we are not ready for perfection. We need you to kickstart the whole process. 
It's not going to be perfection. You're not going to perfect the world right now. You're going to do what you need to do at this point in time. And that's exactly what we need from you. Perfection is for, for the future. Again, it's that ambition, that vision that we're working towards. Never lose the vision. And that's where we put the, the perfection, the perfectionism in its proper frame. Of course we, we have to have high standards. Of course we have to have idealism. But what's the, what's the context? The context is, it is our long-term goal. It is the wish of our life. Am I going to get there right now? Am I going to get there tomorrow? Tomorrow, I hope I don't eat a tub of ice cream like a pig. That's what tomorrow is. Tomorrow, I hope I'll be able to overcome my laziness and, and do what I need to do. Tomorrow, I hope to be able to be more patient with the people around me. And all the various personal struggles that we go through in, in modulating our, our egos in deference and in favor of the divine. That's what tomorrow is going to be. That's all, those are all steps towards the big cosmic perfection of a perfect world at the time of Mashiach. And progress is cumulative. And time is not cyclical. We are not repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Because every time you recover from a mistake, every time you recover from a failure and you get back on track, you're actually making a dent in things. Making a dent in your ego. You're making a dent in yourself. You're bringing the power of God into your own life every time you, you, you refuse to give up. That stubbornness of not giving up is itself a tremendous godly revelation. The determination of a person to keep trying at perfecting their character, at becoming better at things, a better Jew, a better human being, that determination and that refusal to give up is itself tremendous, tremendous divine energy. And that hope is, is, a, is a symptom of divinity. And so, for now, we need to stick with what is demanded from us. Do as much as we can. Work with, with, with the imperfections that we have. Don't aim for perfection right now. Perfection is the long-term goal with Mashiach. Every mitzvah that we do, every step that we take is building toward that. We need to remind ourselves of the grand vision every now and then. We need to tune into that. That's why we mention it in our prayers so often. We have to be aware that we're, we're working towards something really grand. We're talking about changing the world. How does that happen? It happens because right now I'm going to be more patient with my five-year-old. And so on and so forth. So let us hope and pray that we can take both messages. The message of Moshe's mission of living in the present and making in incremental progress. And the message of Mashiach, which is about the big vision for the end goal and live with those both simultaneously for the best results possible. L'chaim.